All right, well, we, uh, if you remember back several weeks ago, we ended by, uh, we were talking about uh, music, and we'll come back to that in the weeks ahead, um, but I wanted to spend some time uh, looking at the second commandment, because uh, more than anything else we look at in Scripture, as we think about the arts, uh, the second commandment really does uh, come into significant play in all of this conversation. Um, I think it's one of God's commands that is very misunderstood. Um, I think all of them are very misunderstood, to be quite frank. But really, uh, this one, um, I think, has been, uh, has been misused or just sort of, uh, it's sort of brushed over a lot of times. The, the understanding for a lot of people is, well, it says don't be an idolater. So I'm not an idolater, therefore let's move on to uh, the next one. And uh, it's, it's a bit more significant than that. So I just want to spend time this morning thinking about the second commandment in relationship to uh, this uh, conversation about Christians and Christianity and the arts and our relationship with the arts. And I say all of this recognizing uh, that uh, even among um, traditional Reformed uh, theologians, there is some, some disagreement on this issue. Uh, but not a tremendous amount, but there are on uh, specific nuances to this, and I will uh, try to bring those up as we go along. So let's begin in the text. If you will go with me to Exodus chapter 20, and if someone could read for us nice and loud, verses 4 through 6, Exodus 20, 4 through 6. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So this is the second commandment. Now, if you uh, if you see uh, what Roman Catholics do with this and uh, the Lutheran tradition as well, they keep verses four through six tied to the first commandment, and they make this a part of the first commandment, and then they divide what we understand to be the tenth commandment uh, to make nine and ten. Um, but uh, we believe that this is distinct from the first commandment, and so this is the second commandment. So what we learn in the first commandment, remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And that's very distinct because we learn here uh, the kind of God that we worship. He is one and alone. There is none like him. There never has been, nor could there ever be any other God like him. He's not one among others uh, that is worthy of worship. It's not that he's uh, first among equals or anything along those lines. He is, uh, there there are to be no other gods before him. Um, So we have this distinction in the first commandment of the kind of God that we are to worship And so then the second commandment would tell us what in relationship to that? What's that? Yeah, good. And so we see uh, worshiping the right God in the right way. Right, so now we have a command that's that's, uh, in relationship to our worship. 
right? And what you see in all of the Decalogue, all of the commandments really you know, fall out from one another. They're all interrelated. And uh, specifically, as you look at the tables of the law, so especially the first table, the first four commandments, and how they're interrelated. And so this is certainly tied to the first commandment. We, uh, we have to worship God in the way that God determines He is to be worshipped. We can't just do that however we determine because He is a, a God unlike any other. And so we have this kind of God who has certain demands on His people, and as a result, we must worship Him in the way that He desires to be worshipped. And so we can't just make our own idols to represent God. So before we press on in that, I want to talk about idolatry in the Bible. So what is idolatry just in general? Okay, good. Very generically, it's worshiping anything uh, over and above God. So anything can become an idol, right? Uh, we've, we, we had a whole sermon series on idolatry, uh, our families, our work, uh, our hobbies, our money, our whatever. We can, we can make an idol out of anything, and those things we can place over and above God, and they become an idol to us. Um, when the Bible often refers to idolatry, what is it referring to specifically, especially in the Old Testament? What's that? Yeah, usually uh, an image or something like a statue or a monument of some sort uh, that is uh, utilized in worship. So how were these things utilized, though? I think we often have a misunderstanding about this. What was the understanding of this carved image or this image made of stone or metal? What's that? Okay, yeah, it was... It stood in the place of that thing, uh, that God, which uh, they, were to, they were going to worship, right? They were representations. Sure, I think you see uh, that uh, when Paul is in the Areopagus, uh, they want to have all their bases covered. So they have all kinds of idolatrous um, statues and figures and everything else, and they even have an altar to the unknown God just in case. We want to cover our bases. So there may not be a God here at all, but we want to make sure that it's all taken care of. Sure. Yeah, and there's, uh, there was certainly this mindset of, um, and you, you hear it among people today, not as blatantly perhaps, but you know, just, just in case. <laughs> we want to have all our bases covered, and so we have, uh, and that's, that's sort of uh, the idea behind something like Hinduism, uh, and why, why, are, why are our gods not in competition in Hinduism? Well, because uh, we just, you know, we don't have any problem with multiple uh, ideas about gods so that we can make sure everything is covered just in case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that plays itself out on so many levels. Uh, the idea of saints, the idea of, um, uh, well, P- Paul, again, at the Areopagus, we see that. We see Paul dealing with this in 1 Corinthians um, when he's talking about uh, the idols being representations of gods or the God in their minds is sort of behind this item. So they're, they're worshiping this in the place of God to represent him. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever 
Yeah. Yeah, we, we just want to make sure our bases are covered, right? So what this commandment is addressing in light of that kind of mindset, and really this is the tendency of every human heart, is to become an idolater. And so what God is teaching us is this is who I am as God, and this is how I am to be worshipped, because that, ne- that matters nearly as much as, uh, to God as whom we worship. And so we can't just worship any way we like. Uh, Here's what our catechism says. The second commandment forbids the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. It seems fairly straightforward, but we'll get into that in a bit. Yes, sir. Yes, in the place of God, right? And I think our misconception oftentimes when we read about idolatry, especially in the Bible, we read and we say, these, these people, how dumb and sort of archaic do you have to be that you're going to worship uh, something carved out of wood or made out of stone? Well, the reality is that they're not, it's not the object itself that they were worshiping. Uh, they, the assumption was that this is in the place of the God. So we want a physical representation that can stand in the place of the God that we worship. So it wasn't the carved statue itself, it was what they believed that represented. In the same way, as Steve mentioned, that uh, especially in Eastern Orthodoxy, if you walk into an Eastern Orthodox church, there's uh, pictures on the walls of all the different uh, saints and, uh, and of Jesus and Mary, what they assumed uh, they looked like and everything. And they would tell you that uh, it's not the picture, the icon itself that we are, are worshiping or praying to, uh, but it's a representation of what is uh, behind that or contained within that. Um, so we have to be careful uh, when we're talking about idolatry that we're not just assuming these were some, uh, you know, uh, completely uneducated, unknowing uh, weirdos that uh, just worshipped blocks of wood. Um, now, at the end of the day, that's what it ends up being, right? But uh, in their minds, the assumption is uh, this is something more than just the statue itself. Um, <clears throat> so, obviously, we know from our reading of Scripture that when Moses was given the Decalogue at Sinai, there was no lack of uh, of idols. There was no lack of other gods that uh, the people were worshiping. And uh, each of the plagues from God, I believe each of the plagues that we see in Egypt uh, as the people uh, are getting out of Egypt, each of those plagues is in direct response uh, to one of the, uh, one of the gods of Egypt. And they all uh, relate to what they were worshiping. Um, they, they just simply could not believe in the ancient world in a God that could not be seen or represented in some way. And yet the God of the Bible, if he's omnipresent uh, and says no one has seen God at all, God is a spirit and has not a body like man, if we put all these pieces together we have to recognize that there is no way in which he can be physically represented or visually represented. 
And so the nations were looking in vain for the God of Israel, and Israel was often tempted to be like these other nations in that they wanted to show a representation of their God. And so we see things like, Kevin mentioned, like the golden calf incident in, uh, in the book of Exodus where miraculously all the gold was thrown into the fire and a beautiful golden calf came out. Uh, nobody knows how it happened. It just happened. We don't know. We just... Exactly, yeah, yes. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's getting this command, this specific command, while they're doing that very thing. So, um, so God begins the, the Decalogue by saying, you shall have no other gods before me, because he knew that humanity would believe in another god or gods. Uh, and so it was important that we should know who the true God is and respond in kind. So then God adds the second commandment because he knew our next step would be to say, we can't understand this God. He's too big. He's too vast. He's too awesome. So we need to reduce him down to a size that we can understand. I need to be able to put him on the shelf in my house. I need to be able to put him in an image on my wall. I need to be able to put him in a piece of jewelry to wear around my neck so that I have something tangible uh, to look at and understand. Um, so let's think about this through uh, an example, this, this difference between the first and second commandment. <coughs> um, in uh, Second Kings, in chapter 9 and 10, uh, you have Jehu. He's praised for eliminating um, Baal worship in Israel. And he did that by putting Jezebel to death. It was a, it was a good thing. And he destroyed the ministers of Baal uh, along with her. And so the account of Jehu's victory ends with this commendation in, in 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 28. It says, thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. And so far, that's a good thing. We get rid of this false god, these false uh, prophets, these false teachers or priests of a false god. Um, and <coughs> Jehu refused to worship other gods. But unfortunately, it goes on, Second Kings chapter 10 and verse 29 says, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. And so, if Jehu get, uh, got rid of Baal worship, then what were these sacred cows still doing in Israel? The answer is that although Jehu enforced the first commandment, he allowed the people to break the second commandment. And this is why Protestants have made the distinction that we have between the first and second commandment and have not seen those as one like you see in uh, Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism. Uh, the golden calves did not represent other gods, in fact, in Israel. These were supposed to be uh, representations of the God of Israel, just like we see in Exodus with, uh, with Aaron. But this is exactly what the second commandment opposes. Worshiping God with an idol or having some object stand in the place of God that we can worship. So the first commandment forbids the false worship uh, of, uh, excuse me, forbids the worship of false gods. 
And the second commandment forbids false worship of the one true God. Is the distinction clear for everybody? So, yeah, go ahead. Yes, exactly. Yeah, our, our tendency is to want to reduce God down to a manageable size. And when we do that, we make God out to be far less than he, than he truly is. So, uh, let's think about the specifics of the second commandment a little more carefully. So, um, first of all, what is forbidden? Some of these answers are easy, so don't feel like I'm trying to ask for some hidden meaning. What, what is forbidden in the second commandment? Okay. What, is the, what does the text say specifically? You're not wrong, but what does the text say specifically? Yeah. Good, I like that. Don't make stuff, right? <laughs> don't, uh, don't carve or um, engrave in some kind of image or idol. So we cannot worship God in any man-made idol. And to the Israelites, they understood an idol to be that which was crafted by hand with a tool in general. So some kind of woodworking or stonework or metalwork, something along those lines. Hopefully you can see where we're going with this with regard to this discussion about the arts. Um, this, was, uh, this was how they did that. They carved out wood, they chiseled stone, they engraved metal, uh, they cut and shaped something out of human hands in order to do this. And so the idols that God's referring to in the second commandment are representations, physical representations of divine beings. So now notice, God is not forbidding the use of tools to fashion art, is he? He doesn't say anything about art itself. He doesn't forbid woodworking. He doesn't forbid metalworking. He doesn't forbid uh, creating sculptures or statues or anything like that. It's very specific. He says, do not make these things to be what? Yeah, to be items or to be uh, elements of worship. That's very important. And this is clarified in the second part of the rule. What does he say in verse 5 specifically? Yes, good. So God clarifies that these things that you're making should not be bowed down to and worshipped. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. We're uh, in some ways driving toward an answer to that. I will uh, just mention, though, the, the issue about the altar. What is, what is the altar itself? What is the altar for? Right, so there's, there's kind of two things going on. One is it's a, a place where sacrifices are offered, right? That's literally what an altar is and what its function is. Um, but then also we see these memorials. The memorials of what God has done as opposed to an image or uh, an item that represents who or what God is. That's, that's a big part of the major distinction. So any of these altars are, here we worship the God who did all that he did, and we want to remember his work, and so therefore we, we memorialize that in this way that he has, and by the way, in a way that he has commanded us to do, and that's one of the major distinctions. 
And so um, we, we see that uh, not just in the raising of altars, but even in a lot of the, the uh, festivals and, and things that we see throughout the Old Covenant as well, uh, that they were, they were to worship God uh, in remembrance in these certain ways, and we do that in the Lord's Supper, for example, as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay, <clears throat> good. That's a great question. I think um, part of the distinction we have to make, and this is why I wanted to point out, that what he's not forbidding is the making of things in an artistic manner, right? The, the, what's being forbidden is not that anyone is making an image or carving something out of wood or making something out of stone. It's not doing those in and of themselves that are the issue, right? The issue is that these things are done as representations of God or to be used in the place of God. And so that's one distinction that has to be made. And I think, hopefully that gets a bit to what you're talking about, Tyler, is that... um, we have to think about it in relationship to the specific thing that it's tied to. This is specifically tied to the issue of worship and representing God versus the issue of just making carved images um, or uh, you know, whatever kind of artistic works in and of themselves. And so we have to make that distinction. It's not wrong to have something made out of wood or stone. It is if it represents God. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's the, and that's the, uh, I guess the, what's the right word? Yeah, the, good. The qualifier for it. In heaven above. Yeah. Someone said something over here. Oh. Yeah, caveat. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, interestingly, he says in the water that's in the earth. So what is he talking about there? What does it have to do with the water? Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. And so what, uh, it, I think it's interesting, I always find it interesting when he talks about the heavens above, but then he talks about the, the, uh, the, the water under the, the earth or the earth beneath. So is he saying it's wrong that we would draw an image or carve a, a representation of a fish? Is that what he means by that? Or what is, what is God saying here? What's that? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it's a reference to the demonic. It's a good thought. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, Heather. Yes, excellent. I'm going to come right back to that, Richard one. Good, very important. We always see this issue of intent throughout the scriptures, right? What is, what is our heart fixed on? Um, Heather brings up a, a very important point in all of this. In ancient worship practices, I say ancient even today in many cultures, uh, what are the most readily turned to things that people worship? What's that? Yeah, the seasons or um, just, we could say in general, the things of the created world. So whether it's uh, the sun or the moon or the stars or the trees or whatever else, all kinds of worship practices revolve around these kinds of things. So Paul deals with this in the book of Romans uh, when he talks about 
um, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And he even, he even mentions, um, what does he say, Bir- does he talk about birds or the creeping things on the, on the earth, or the animals, everything else, that these are the things people tend to, uh, to worship apart from God. That's what veganism is, <laughs> worshiping animals, right? So you can't eat them. It's a lot like Hinduism. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think there's any vegans in here, so I can say stuff like that. But just eat bacon, you'll be all right. Um, and so this whole issue of things in the water, for example, fish, uh, or whales, or dolphins, or whatever it is, uh, can I have a carving of a dolphin on my mantle? Sure. But the follow-on is very important, as Richard was saying. What is the intent here? Is this going to be something uh, that is utilized as an element to stand in the place of God or a God of my own making? Um, that is what is being clarified as the commandment continues. Yeah, Derek. Good, good, precisely. And exactly as, uh, as Ronnie was saying before, that um, what we're learning from that is that I simply cannot. Uh, these are not things that I can create because I can't create anything ex nihilo. Anything that I make or form is out of what God has already created. Yeah. Great. And uh, you think, um, so uh, this is, uh, well... Think of the tabernacle and everything that's created in the tabernacle. And, you know, you have bird wings and, uh, and trees and everything. So these, this, if we think about everything in the context of, of the larger picture that we see in Scripture, it could not possibly be that God is saying we can't do these things at all because he commands that these things be done um, because the tabernacle and the temple are hearkening back to the first temple, which was what? What's that? Yeah, the Garden of Eden. And so you have this picture of the garden that continues on and it's represented through things like carvings and, uh, and artistic works, very beautiful artistic works that God commands to be made. And so we have to be very specific here with regard to what is, uh, what is being commanded as items, as elements of worship. Okay? Any? I thought I saw one more hand somewhere. Yes. Yeah, 2 Kings uh, 18. That's where a king Hezekiah has to destroy the serpent because it became an element of worship. I think right there you're on to the distinction. Well, why did God command the serpent to be created and raised up on a pole? What was the point of that? Okay, yep, so we have a picture of Christ, but what, what did it serve? What purpose did it serve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they looked at the serpent, what happened? They were healed. If they didn't look at the serpent, what happened? They died, right? So we have a very specific use here that does not include what? Worship, right? That's a distinction. As soon as it becomes an element of worship, what does God command? It's destruction. And we see that with Hezekiah. So there's a lot of these things. I think... Uh, 
you could, there's a lot of types of Christ, for example, that are, that are physical objects, like the ark, for example. The ark is a type of Christ, right? You think about the ark itself. How was anyone saved from judgment in the days of Noah? They had to be on the ark. Uh, yes, exactly. I, you know, I, I think um, in God's mercy, a lot of things like the original manuscripts of Scripture, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Noah's Ark, all these things, I think uh, we don't have for that very reason. Yeah, the cross, yeah, parts of the cross. Uh, I think the idea of the shrouds of Turin, if you've ever followed that argument, are, are a foolish attempt at trying to make something of nothing. Um, so there's all these kinds of things that I think because of what we're seeing here in all of this, that we easily turn into these relics of worship, like the bones of the saints or the apostles or whatever else. Yeah. Yes. Very making distinct. Here's who I am and how I need to be worshipped apart from everything else that you've been experiencing for the last 500 years. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it brings in the money too. Don't forget about that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So we have a few more minutes. Why has God? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ronnie. Exactly. Yeah, they, we worship the gift instead of the giver, right? There are a lot of great gifts that God has given us, but our tendency, our heart's tendency is always to turn to those things idolatrously. Yeah. Want to reduce it. Right. Good. Well, um, <clears throat> because we only have two minutes, I'm just going to like throw in a question for everyone to think about this week and to mull over, and um, it's not without controversy. Um, but um, in light of this, and in light of the reason God gave us this commandment to distinguish himself from all other gods, to uh, call us to worship him uniquely, uh, to call on us to understand him as he is and not as some ideation of our mind or someone else's and how we want to represent him, um, we have two other major things to think about in relationship to all of this. One is Jesus as the second member of the Trinity and his physical uh, reality, him saying, I and the Father am one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So we have that. Um, but then because Jesus came to us in a physical form, um, not a form as a man. Uh, he wasn't a form. He was an actual person. Um, what does that mean about our artistic representations or, uh, uh, or any kind of images that we might want to create uh, to, uh, to be some kind of picture of Jesus or what we assume he looked like, or to even stand in the place of Jesus? Um, are we to uh, represent Jesus at all in any kind of picture? And for that matter, something like um, the, uh, you know, the picture the, of the, the finger of God and the finger of, uh, of Adam touching one another. And um, is, that, is that okay? Are these, are these just artistic renderings of a bigger a more important truth, or are they violations of the second commandment? Now, these are, these are big, heavily 
debated questions in reform circles. And I just want to throw it out there for you to think about this week, and we'll, uh, we'll get back to that uh, next week as we do. So is it okay to uh, have uh, pictures of Jesus uh, or what we assume Jesus looked like? I'll tell you this. Most pictures that are made that are supposed to be Jesus look nothing like what Jesus probably looked like. They're a big lie. Are you calling me a liar? <laughs> that long blonde hair and blue eyes, not sure. A Middle Eastern man. Yeah. <laughs> the baby, yeah, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll jump on that uh, next week, something to think about. Um, and very, very important in this discussion with regard to Christianity and our relationship with the arts. So let me pray and we'll close. Father, thanks again for our time together. We're grateful, Lord, that you have not left us to figure out what you want from us on our own, but you have, uh, you have given us your word. You have given us not only uh, what we see in uh, the words on the page, but the depth, the layers that come behind all of it. And uh, the, these discussions that we have are so useful, so helpful, and so many ways for us to dig, so many examples for us to find in Scripture, uh, Lord, that you've not left us to ourselves, and we are thankful. And we pray, Lord, that we would do all that we can and all that we know and understand that we would apply to be faithful disciples of yours, to be a people who walk faithfully according to the Scriptures so far as we know and are able and that should there be any um, ways of thinking or uh, working out these things in our lives that are contrary to your word, that you would make them known to us, that we might uh, repent and that we might walk uh, more faithfully according to the scriptures. And we do pray now that our hearts would be prepared as we gather for corporate worship, as we come before you, that you would be pleased with all that we bring to you uh, in praise of the one true and living God above any and all others. And we ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.